material into a small amount of space. And so I abbreviated some and I played around with the font a little bit. And it's fun with Microsoft Word because you have like a thousand different fonts that you can choose from. And uh, you can choose all the different font sizes. And I just went with plain old Times New Roman, but I did have to use a smaller font in order to try to, uh, to get everything on there in a way that uh, would still be understandable. But there is so much about King Hezekiah. We may even make this into two parts because King Hezekiah is uh, such a great king and there is so much that occurred during his reign at such a pivotal, pivotal time in history. And uh, again, I get a little carried away sometimes because I really, really enjoy history. And so I can get you know, really uh, bogged down in some of the details and all the historical context. And so I... I hope I uh, didn't include too much of that, but a little bit about Hezekiah. He is identified in our study tonight as a praying king because there were two uh, major prayers that uh, he gave, one for his healing, and God answered that with a yes, and and he was given 15 more years of life, but he also uh, prayed for God's deliverance from the Assyrians, from Sennacherib and the Assyrian army. And God delivered Judah and Jerusalem from the Assyrians. So we have uh, two different, very consequential prayers that Hezekiah gave. But his name means Jehovah has strengthened. He's the son of Ahaz. Ahaz was not a good king. And it appears that Hezekiah was co-regent with Ahaz for about 14 years. But then, of course, he succeeded him on the throne. If uh, we jump down to the next note, he reigned 29 years as the, 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 the sole king. So you could add uh, the additional years, and uh, it would be 43, uh, roughly, that he was king. But 14 of those as co-regent with his father, and then the last 29 years as uh, the, the only king. This is of the southern kingdom, Judah, 722 B.C. Israel was conquered by the Assyrian army, and they were deported. And uh, we can read about that. I believe it's in 2 Kings chapter 17, but we won't take the time to go there uh, tonight. But the Assyrian army, the Assyrian nation was the dominant world power at that time and they were moving into the northern kingdom and conquering and deporting and murdering and torturing and then eventually they would intermarry in uh, the case of the Samaritans the Samaritans are the intermarriage of Jews with the Assyrians and so that's where the Samaritans uh, came from and of course we know in the New Testament that the uh, the dislike for the Samaritans. But that is the time in in history. Around 722 B.C., he is co-regent with his father. The northern kingdom is conquered, and eventually they are uh, taken, they are deported. By 715, the northern kingdom uh, has basically ceased to exist as an organized kingdom. And then uh, we see that um, well, in 722, the, the, the northern kingdom is gone. In the southern kingdom, um, then 
Hezekiah becomes the sole king in 715 B.C. and reigns till 686 B.C. in the, the southern kingdom. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Here we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse number 1. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old. And he reigned 9 and 20 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. We understand that David was, is, wasn't his immediate father, but David was his father, obviously, in his ancestry. And David is recognized as the standard, the standard of the, the kings. Obviously, David being a man after God's own heart, the Davidic covenant and the line of the Messiah uh, would come through uh, the line of David. So David is used as the one, as the reference point. If a king did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, it is often stated as his father David had done. And that was the case here of Hezekiah. Thankfully, he didn't learn from his father. Ahaz was not a good example. But Hezekiah determined that he was not going to reign like his father did. He was not going to live like his father did. Again, it's an example of how someone can come from a bad home with a bad example and by the grace of God, by looking to the Lord, by focusing on the word of God and keeping one's eyes on Christ and living according to the truth, we can see God's grace and mercy lived out in a person's life and they, they are blessed by God for their obedience for their righteous living. They can turn, they can make a choice and turn from the sin of their home, the bad examples in their life, and they can turn and put their eyes on Christ, and God will deliver them out of that bondage of sin, will break that curse, as sometimes it is described as a curse. And where that third and fourth generation continues in sin and iniquity, it's described as those who hate God. As each generation, as each, as each subsequent generation lives in hatred toward God, the iniquities of the fathers, the consequences of those iniquities are passed down. But that is broken by love for God. When one chooses to love God and to trust Christ as their Savior and turn their back on the sin, even that's in their home, even that bad example that they might have in their home. Here is Hezekiah as an example of a man who had a father who did not do rights, even served as co-regent, but by the time he became the sole king in 715, he said, I am not going to go the way of my father. I'm going to do what's right in the sight of the Lord. And he saw what was happening in the northern kingdom, he saw the Assyrians moving in 722 B.C. as he's a co-regent with his father down the southern kingdom. He, he no doubt sees the Assyrians conquering and then pretty soon it'll be right at his doorstep. And he's going to have to trust the Lord. So one thing that he did that seems to be a little bit of a compromise was that he did, he did get into a treaty with Egypt. Now, that's one area, as all men, all of us as human beings, we have weaknesses, we have faults. None of us are perfect. This is one area where we can see that Hezekiah uh, may have compromised uh, in his, his reign as king by getting into this treaty with Egypt. 
But nevertheless, he refused to pay tribute to Sennacherib. And uh, it was a pragmatic treaty. It was no doubt a way to uh, have a strategy to block and check Assyria as they are looking to come into the southern kingdom and to conquer. And so he reaches out to Egypt, and together they are trying to resist the Assyrian advance. But I don't want to get too overly negative there, um, but there, there appears to be a little bit of compromise in Hezekiah's life in that treaty with Egypt. Nevertheless, he resists Sennacherib and does not pay tribute to Sennacherib as his father had done. So let's look at some reformations in Hezekiah's life. Let's look at these. There's five broad areas of reforms. And I'll use the term revival because reformation can take the the form of just cleaning up a little bit and getting things a little bit better, and it can take on the form of maybe of a self-help or a self-improvement, and uh, I don't want it to sound that way. I want, to, I want it to be reformation in the sense of a revival, uh, God doing the reforming through Hezekiah, who feared God, who did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and we read in Second Chronicles uh, specifically, uh, and I think it's uh, chapter 32 and verse number 8, if I remember right, where God uh, speaks of Hezekiah's reforms, revival, and what he had done, and uh, greatly blessed Hezekiah for that, for that and honored him uh, in, a, in a very powerful way uh, in that verse. But he cleansed the temple. Second Chronicles 29, I wish we had time to read through all these verses, but down in verse 3, in the first year of his reign, now he is the sole king. Ahaz is off, uh, is, is done, is, is gone, uh, is dead, verse 27 of chapter 28. So Hezekiah, he decides he is going to take a 180 degree turn and he is going to lead Judah away from the sins that they have been involved in. And he brought in the priest, excuse me, verse 3, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. So he cleanses the temple. He brought in the priests, the Levites, gathered them together into the east street. And said unto them in verse 5, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. I know this is in an Old Testament dispensation. I know this is not the church. But I can't help but think of every time there is a revival, every time there is a turning from sin to Christ, whenever there is true repentance, the house of God is filled up. The church in the New Testament age, the church is seen as the place that we come for worship, for our community, for our teaching and preaching of the word of God, for our Christian fellowship, for our serving one another, for being equipped to do the work of the ministry and to go out and to evangelize. Wherever there has been revival Correct me later if I'm wrong, but as far as what I know from studying and from what I've heard and the, the limited knowledge I have of revivals, wherever there has been repentance, wherever there has been true revival, the church has been filled. People have come to the house of the Lord, and people are getting right with God, and they want to be in church. They want to be in worship together, and I'm not talking about emotional, fake, entertainment kind of worship. I'm talking about true worship that results in changed lives, that results in 
things like bars closing and uh, other sinful venues, their doors being shut, certain types of activities are greatly decreased. And we see Hezekiah in his reformations. We see the emphasis on cleaning up the temple, the place of worship, that we might honor God, that we might see God high and lifted up, that he would receive his exalted place, that nothing will come between us and the Lord. So we see he cleanses the temple and he restores temple worship. That's in verses 20 through 36 of 2 Chronicles 29. And isn't it incredible to think that Israel had neglected the Passover. There were some, no doubt, that were continuing to practice the Passover, but as a nation, they had neglected the Passover, and Hezekiah said, we are no longer going to overlook overlook this great feast. And he institutes the Passover. They observe the Passover, and he does it according to the Mosaic Law, 2 Chronicles, in chapter number 30. And then, in chapter 31... He casts down the altars and the idols of Judah, the high places, the groves. I was just reading in my devotions in the book of Deuteronomy, and it's very specific as Moses repeats again the commands and the law and preaches that last sermon to Israel before they go into the promised land, before he goes into glory. And Moses repeats the centrality of the tabernacle and the place of worship. Eventually there would be the temple, but at the time he's speaking of the tabernacle. And he talks about you do not set up groves and high places and altars outside of the tabernacle. We do not worship that way. I'm paraphrasing uh, what Moses says in the book of Deuteronomy. But he says, no, you are not going to go outside the camp. You're not going to go out into your places and set up your own groves, your own altars, your own high places. That is not the way the Lord commands or prescribes that we worship. We come to the tabernacle and we worship as a nation and we come together and we worship God's way. And he was so specific as to say, we don't even take it on our own. You know how it is today in our culture. And again, I know we're not in an Old Testament dispensation. But now we have people who say, well, I worship in the, in, in, in the garden as I'm working my tomatoes and my cucumbers. And I'm just, I feel just one with nature. I, I commune with God on my walk through the woods. And that's where I really feel God. And then we have the people who, well, I, I, just, I, I just really feel the sense of the Lord as I'm sitting on my couch and I'm eating my potato chips and having my pizza and watching the... Uh, the TV screen. Again, there's a place and a time for the TV and the live stream, and I know there's a time and a place for that, and we're sick, and we're ill, we can't get to church. Okay, I'm not saying in those exceptional circumstances when we're providentially hindered, but you know how it is with some people. I, I, I have three or four evangelistic, you know, I mean, there's, there's TBN, right, or whatever channels are out there. I, I can get my religion there. Why do I need to go and sit with a bunch of hypocrites in church? I mean, that's the kind of stuff. That's the things that we hear. I've heard them through the years from various people. And then COVID comes along, and people realize, oh, you know what? I can get, you know, my social from uh, TV or, or whatever, and the internet and social media, and before long, We're hearing statistics like 30% of those who used to attend church don't attend church anymore post-COVID. 
Now, I realize some of those people probably didn't belong in church in the first place. They need to get saved, need to get right with God, and then get in church. I realize that. But, you know, the, 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 again, the emphasis of Hezekiah in his reforms, in his revival, is the temple, is the worship of God, and the breaking down of the idols and the altars, getting rid of the sin, removing the sin, removing the temptations, and making God central once again, observing the Passover. And he's saying, let's love the Lord like we promised him in Deuteronomy, in the Torah, in the law, in the book of Moses. The first five books of the Old Testament, they claimed over and over in the book of Deuteronomy, we will love the Lord, we will serve you. And Moses was saying, if you go after the idols, bad things are going to happen. And the curses and the diseases of the land are going to come upon you. And Hezekiah, no doubt, is remembering and reading and he's dealing with the sin of the land and he is establishing the worship of God as he prescribed it in his law. And then he restored the priests and the Levites and the sacrificial system. Those are Hezekiah's reforms, the revival that he brought. Well, of course, as always is the case, whenever God is at work, whenever we see God blessing and we see God's people revived, and we see the reformation of the Lord, not, again, self-improvement, self-help kind of reformation, but the reformation of the Lord, what happens? What, what, what comes along? Challenges. Trials. Different things that try to pull us away from what, what God is doing. And uh, we have found this, that the temptation is not always in the valley. Oh yes, there's a temptation in the valley. But sometimes the greatest temptation is where? It's on the mountaintop. And it's sometimes the, in the sports world, it's the number one seed <clears throat> that loses to the number 16 seed. Sorry, I had to bring that up. And I am a fan. I am a fan. We are the best regular season team in the country. Don't every, anybody doubt it. When it comes to the regular season, we can win it. Players of the year, championships, postseason, we won't talk about it. Anyway, we get to the top sometimes, and we're thinking that we are invincible. And sometimes that's where the greatest temptation comes, because of pride. We let our guard down. We think we don't need to depend upon the Lord, because look at all that we just did, and we forget who gave us the strength to do it. And sure enough, Hezekiah faces a challenge. Not that the Assyrians had gone away. As a matter of fact, they were still knocking at the door. They were looking to come down into the southern kingdom. The Assyrians had already conquered the northern kingdom. 2 Kings 17 talks about the northern kingdom, many of the Israelites being deported. And then Sennacherib attacks Judah. Twice he comes. So here's a challenge from without. Later we'll see there's a challenge from within. There's a challenge from without, Sennacherib, the Assyrians. There's also a challenge from within as Hezekiah gets lifted up in pride. But there's also another challenge that comes into Hezekiah's life. In the midst of all that he is doing to hold off the Assyrians, he gets sick with a deadly disease of some kind. It sounds like it's a boil from what we understand from Scripture. Now, if any of you have had a boil, I've had a few of them in my life. And uh, they are awful. They're absolutely horrible. They're some of the most painful things 
that you can ever imagine. And this boil must have been infected. It created some sort of disease or infection, and he was on his deathbed. So he's got this attack from without. Twice, Sennacherib comes against Judah. The first time, Hezekiah, again, we see a weakness here. He gives a tribute payment. He takes even from the precious metals of the temple in order to try to pay off Sennacherib. I see a little bit of weakness here, a little lapse in faith. We see this with even the great men and women of faith who they have feet of clay just like you and me. Hezekiah does seem to compromise a little, but then when, Hezekiah, or excuse me, when Sennacherib comes and lays siege on Jerusalem, Hezekiah stands strong, and he puts his faith in God. He consults with the military leaders and the commanders to set up a defense of Jerusalem, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, and then Hezekiah proclaimed his trust in the Lord, 2 Chronicles 32, in verse number 8. With him, that is with God, is an arm of, excuse me, I'm sorry, with Sennacherib, excuse me, is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. He's pointing to Sennacherib who is, as the world power is conquering all of the known nations at the time. Babylon is rising as a threat little by little out in the east. Babylon is beginning to gain strength. But the Assyrians at this time are at the peak of their power. They have just wiped out the northern kingdom. They're threatening Egypt. They're threatening the southern kingdom of Judah. And Sennacherib now lays siege on Jerusalem. And he calls out to the men on the walls there in Jerusalem. And he begins to mock God. He begins to say just blasphemous things about our God. And he begins to say, if, 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 if you believe that your God can save you, you are fools. You've just torn down your God's idols. You've just torn down your God's groves and high places. You've just ruined all the things that would have made powerful Hezekiah. He mocks God and then he equates God with the false idolatrous worship that Hezekiah just destroyed. And Sennacherib doesn't hold it back. He sounds like a liberal left. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little political here. But he sounds like a a lefty liberal. Anti-God hating Christ, hating the gospel, hating the word of God, mocking everything that is true, that's Sennacherib. He's a maniacal pagan. And they are so afraid of him, they're saying across the wall to Sennacherib and his messengers, they're saying, hey, don't speak in Hebrew. We don't want the the regular people to understand. Speak in Aramaic where only we can understand because you're going to scare all the citizens of Jerusalem. Speak in Aramaic. I mean, they were just mocking Sending letters, telling Hezekiah, you are going to die. Don't trust your God. He can't stand up to me. Look at us. We've destroyed every other God of the land, of the world. Just horrible things, they're saying. Again, it sounds very similar to the ridicule that we're hearing more and more in the news now. And what does Hezekiah do? He says, with Sennacherib, with him as an arm of flesh, but with us as the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And then Hezekiah gets sick. Somewhere in this, Hezekiah gets sick. 2 Kings 20 is a parallel passage. Isaiah 38 is another parallel passage to this particular event. And during this threat... 
from Sennacherib, Hezekiah comes down and it sounds like it's some sort of boil. It gets diseased or infected or whatever the case may be. And Hezekiah prays desperately to God and God graciously healed him and extended his life by 15 years. I wish we had time to, to go to uh, all of these passages. But it's in 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 24 that we read, In those days Hezekiah was sick to the death and prayed unto the Lord. And he spake unto him and he gave him a sign. And the sundial was moved back, I believe it was 10 degrees. And we don't need to get into all the details of what all, what all that means. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. So we see a quick synopsis in Second Chronicles 32 of what happened at that time. So this is a map of, of Israel and the divided kingdom to the north, the uh, land of Judah and the southern kingdom to the south. And this gives us a little bit of a perspective of what's going on. You can see... At the north there, at the top of the map, how far Sennacherib had come down. And here he is threatening at the doorstep of Jerusalem, besieging Jerusalem, and Hezekiah is now lying sick. And he calls out for his messengers to go to Isaiah, and for Isaiah to pray, and for Isaiah to pray for deliverance, and God answers his prayers. So we're going through this, I know, very quickly but the challenge continues because the, the Assyrians are still outside Jerusalem. How is he going to get delivered from the Assyrians? He's been delivered from this sickness. Uh, there, there, there's even a, a, medic, a, a medical technique that is used. Uh, in, in Isaiah, we read of the, these figs that they use to put on the boil, and God uses that, but ultimately it was God's supernatural work. It was God's miraculous healing. But he's still got to deal with the Assyrians. How is he going to take on this Assyrian army? 185,000 strong with Sennacherib. And as he goes in prayer, he lays out the, the letters from Sennacherib, and he pleads with the Lord. Isaiah uh, has this prayer as well. And uh, time to, to read all of this, but Isaiah 37, or excuse me, Isaiah, 30, yeah, Isaiah 37, verses 14 through 35 uh, we read Hezekiah's prayer, a prayer of fervency, of supplication. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers. This is Isaiah 37, verse 14. And he read it, and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, thou dwellest between the cherubims. Thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their countries, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore... O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. What a, what a powerful prayer. What an incredible prayer. A prayer of fervency. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And that's Hezekiah's prayer. Oh, that we would pray that way. And maybe sometimes God has to put an Assyria in our lives. Sometimes we need a Sennacherib. Sometimes we need 
Maybe it is a, a physical need. I, I don't know. Sometimes we need those times because otherwise we get way too dependent on ourselves, don't we? I can do this. I can manage this. I'm even hearing advertisements now for a online health guru that you can call and you can get your own therapist to identify all the psychological needs in your life and you can gain a new level of self-improvement and you can even change therapists anytime you want for no extra cost. We, we get into that mentality. I can figure this out. Sometimes we have to get to the point where we have nothing left but Jesus and we find that Jesus is enough. And here's Hezekiah and he cries out to the Lord. And God pronounced judgment on Assyria and then they were supernaturally defeated by God. God sent angels and slew the Assyrians. Sennacherib goes home with his tail between his legs like a whipped little puppy dog and he gets home and he's doing what? What is Sennacherib doing? He's worshiping his false god in Nineveh and his own sons come into the temple of his false gods and they assassinate him right there on the spot. The wicked man met his end. The judgment of God came. And again, there's a challenge and we see his pride and we see his humility. In the midst of this sickness, in the midst of this deliverance, as we read there in 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 24 and down through uh, some verses beyond, we see that Hezekiah is healed. God raises him up. God delivers him from the Assyrians. And unfortunately, Hezekiah got lifted up in pride. Some Babylonian leaders call. 1-800-Judah. I'm just joking. okay? But they hear... Word spreads, even in that land, without the internet and all the social media, word spread. I mean, you think about it. The, the greatest army in the world just got slaughtered. Just angels, an angel of the Lord came and just wiped them out. You think news is going to spread? You better believe it. It's going through all the world. Did you guys hear what happened to Sennacherib? Did you hear what happened to Sennacherib? I mean, it's going throughout the world that... God did an incredible miracle. Well, where was the army of Israel? Well, who was the general of, of Israel? There was none. The next day, the, the Assyrian army, they, they, all just, they all just died. There, there was this mysterious act of God, supernatural act of God, and they're all dead. Sennacherib went back to Nineveh. And the Babylonians are, are thinking, okay, Hezekiah has been rescued from his illness. He's been rescued from this army. Uh, let's find out what his special powers are. Let's find out. Maybe we have, because remember, Babylon is starting to rise in power. So there's all kinds of speculation. Commentators are kind of all over the place as to why Hezekiah would let the Babylonians come. But we know from Second Chronicles, and I believe it's chapter 32, and maybe it's verse 31, Howbeit in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him to try him, that he might know all that was in his heart. What was wrong? Hezekiah had forgotten to thank the Lord like he should. He got exalted in pride, and at the top of the mountain, the Babylonians come, and no doubt they are doing the whole strategy thing and 
talking all nicey-nice. At the same time, they're checking out Jerusalem, and Hezekiah is showing them around, giving them the world's tour, shows them the wealth of his kingdom. And he gets lifted up in pride, and who does God send? He sends Isaiah. Isaiah had a tough job. I admire Isaiah because he had to preach to a group of stubborn people who were on their way to judgment, and he did not see a lot of results. He just didn't see a lot of results. And he even asked the Lord, how long do I preach? And he said, even when nobody is coming forward at your invitations, even when it seems like nobody's getting saved, even when it seems like nobody is turning to the Lord, you just keep preaching, Isaiah. They're going to be a stubborn people, but you just keep preaching. And I tell you, Isaiah came along, and he said to, and again, I wish we had time to go to these passages. He came along to Hezekiah, and he said, what, what, what were you thinking, Hezekiah? Why, why were these Babylonians here? Do you think that all this wealth is yours? you think you accomplished all this? you think you did all this? Judgment is coming. Those very Babylonians that you just entertained here and wined and dined, they are going to come and they're going to take the southern kingdom and they're going to destroy it. They're going to take your people captive. And Hezekiah, as we read in 2 Chronicles 32, he humbled himself. Praise the Lord, he humbled himself. But in 2 Kings 20... 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 26, and then Isaiah 39 and verse number 8, Hezekiah responds after he humbled himself and he realized that he had done wrong. He said to Isaiah, God, Good is the word of the Lord which hath, thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. I, Hezekiah was relieved. The judgment was going to come later, but judgment was coming. And I don't know how to exactly read Hezekiah. Again, commentators are kind of back and forth. Was Hezekiah saying, oh, at least it's not happening in my day, you know? I mean, feel sorry for those guys, but at least I'm going to get... You know, I don't know if it was quite that attitude. I don't know if I should read that much into it. I think Hezekiah was relieved. Whew. I would like to think that Hezekiah was relieved that God had mercy on him. He knew that judgment was going to come, and... He, he acknowledged the goodness of the Lord and the sovereignty and the providence of God, even in the judgment that was to come. At the same time, I would like to think that Hezekiah was thankful for the mercy of God, that it wasn't going to come in his day and that God had spared him. So a lot to learn from Hezekiah. I know there's a lot of material there, and uh, I hope that I was able to give you uh, all the different uh, blanks uh, to help follow along. But uh, a lot that we can learn from the life of Hezekiah. And uh, may we be... Uh, people of prayer like Hezekiah, and may we be people of faith and uh, people of revival and repentance and keep our eyes on the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Hezekiah and his example. Lord, a lot we can learn. Help us, Lord, to apply these truths even as we go out from here. Thank you, Lord, for your people that you've called here to this place. Continue to guide and direct and bless our church and help us, Lord, to go forward for you with the gospel and to live obedient and be faithful people. And receive your honor and your blessing, Lord, as we uplift and honor you and obey you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, thank you for being here. Have a great rest of the week. I look forward to seeing the men on Saturday and then seeing everybody on Sunday again.